You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. So question. And by a show of emojis in the comments, for those of you joining us digitally, and by a show of raised hands here in the theater and in the cafe, who among us today, whether you are already a believer in Jesus or you're still exploring what that means for you, who would feel enriched if the creator of the universe just poured out to you in a unique way his affection for you? Maybe gave you more peace or more joy or something like that. Anybody, anybody at all? Or let me ask it this way, who among us would feel encouraged if God had revealed more of himself to you in a real tangible way of any sort. Anybody else up in here? Not just me. Okay, good. Well, here's the good news for you. The good news for me is that God himself, Jesus, he made it very clear to us exactly what we must do in order to experience the overflow, the abundance of his affection and He essentially said it like this, and these are my words. Jesus essentially said, look, all you have to do to experience the abundance of my affection is exactly what you guys have learned over the last two teachings in this series. You've got to just care for my familia, and then imitate me, be like me. And then the promise was, then I will pour out to you my affection. Then I will make known to you my activity and presence in your life. Here is how Jesus's biographer, John, recorded what Jesus said. Jesus said, I give you a new command. Care for my familia. He said, love one another. And then he said, be like me. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then here's that promise that we had just talked about. The one who has my commands and keeps them will be what? What's that next word? Love. By my father. I will also love him and will what? What's that next word? Reveal myself to him. Jesus's words, not Lee's. And so there it is. Y'all want to be blessed? Yes? Well, then just go and do what Jesus said to do. Just go and love as Jesus loved. Sermon over. Let's pack it up. Let's go. Pretty simple, right? Well, if you've ever had a sibling, if you've been on social media at any point over the last couple of years, if you've ever worked in the service industry, if you've ever had any sort of interaction with any human being whatsoever, then you know it ain't that simple, right? It is incredibly difficult. It is so unnatural It is counterintuitive to give preference to other people's well-being over our own. It is so difficult for me that I've had to start celebrating the small wins in my life. Like, okay, Lord, I know I didn't love that person perfectly, but I didn't headbutt them either. Like, that's got to count for something, right, God? You see, I'm sure many of you all would agree with me. It is so difficult to love people. It's especially difficult when perhaps you are just so exhausted because you have shown preference for your children or your spouse or your ex and you have just given and you have given and all they do is they take and they take and they mistake your kindness for weakness and you've got nothing left in your tank. Or perhaps your boss You're overworked by him. You're underpaid by him. He never shows you any sort of appreciation whatsoever. Treats you like a cog in the machine. You feel so unseen and perhaps you begin to think to yourself, okay, this jerk, this narcissist doesn't even care for me. Why should I care for him or this company at all? 
Or maybe you are debilitated by your depression or your anxiety. I mean, the idea of loving and serving other people, it sounds amazing to you, but you hold back out of fear of experiencing even more rejection, out of fear of experiencing even more failure. And so you kind of clam up and you just don't attempt to do this command. And the truth is, if we're being honest, giving preference to other people's well-being over our own in the way that Jesus demonstrated, it is not easy at all. Am I the only one that feels that way? Can I get an amen, somebody up in here? Amen. It is hard. But here's my concern for all of us, though. My concern when we don't live out our pure and authentic reason for being created, our poodle purpose and be like Jesus and love as he loved, well, because we know what to do and we don't do it, over time, we may be guilt-ridden as people say, oh, you call yourself a follower of Jesus? And over time, we might begin to think to ourselves, look, Jesus, I just don't have what it takes. Jesus, I'm just not good enough. I am a lost cause and may begin to feel a sense of shame about our lives. And perhaps we miss out on making a significant impact in the lives of the people that God has given to us around us. And so by the end of our lives, we become filled with regret and we wonder, did I even live a meaningful life? And perhaps we begin to think this whole know Jesus and discover purpose stuff is all just mumbo jumbo. Maybe we become embittered with ourselves or even with God because you never changed my heart, God. You never helped me become a better person. And ultimately, my biggest concern is that we will miss out on Jesus's promise that we read just a few moments ago. We will miss out on the opportunity to experience the overflow of his affection and his presence and activity in our lives. And so what you and I need is a fuel, a certain fuel to help us maintain motivation to love when it's incredibly difficult to love. We need something to help us maintain motivation so that we can be like Jesus and live out our poodle purpose. And that is exactly what we are going to explore in the scriptures today. And so if you are what we call like a follow alonger, somebody who likes to follow along in the scriptures, if you are a note taker, Go ahead and open up your digital or physical scriptures and meet me in John's biography about Jesus, the 13th section. So the gospel of John chapter 13. And before we jump into today's teaching, as we always do, let's pray. Let's invite God to speak to us and help us understand what he wants to say. Father, as always, we ask you to calm our hearts, calm our minds, Whatever might be distracting us, would you help just center us? And Lord, open up our spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, our heart, and our mind that we might receive whatever it is you want to share with us. Lord, I pray, as I always do, that you would just use me. I'm merely a vessel. I am an instrument. May the words that come out of my mouth be an accurate depiction of who you are, your love, your goodness. I pray they'd be an encouragement to everyone listening all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, how might we remain motivated to love people, especially when it's difficult, so we can experience Jesus' promise that he made? Like, what might you do? And what might I do in order to fuel ourselves to be able to continue to live out our brutal purpose and care for God's familia? Well, the answers to those questions as we unpack them requires that I acquaint us all with a critical concept that's 
important for our conversation today. And so this part is one of those interactive parts, right? It requires you guys to participate and play along. So those of you joining us digitally, you play along with me too. All right, y'all, y'all willing to play along? Yes? It's okay. So here's what we're going to do. All right. For those of you online, I want you to, with your hands right now, make a motion as if you're reaching out for something and you're going to grab it and then clench your fist as if you've got it tightly, perhaps you grab an article of your clothing. And for those of you who are here in person, when you walked in, you were given a stress ball. Go ahead, get out that stress ball. Do not throw it at me. It's not a tomato or anything like that, but clench it in your hands. All right, get a tight grip on it. And I want you to imagine that whatever it is that's in your hand, maybe you just closed your fist and it's the air, or maybe you're clenching some of your clothing, or maybe you got this stress ball in your hand. Whatever it is that's in your hand, I want you to imagine that it is a piece of knowledge that you possess. It is a belief. It is a truth that you have acquired, okay? And so some of you, you might be able to see this piece of knowledge. Some of you might be able to actually feel it. If you squeeze it, perhaps you can hear it. And you can smell it if you are a weirdo. You can lick it, you know, and taste it or something like that. And so what you have in your hand, this knowledge that you possess, you comprehensively understand it. It's intimate knowledge for you, right? It's not something that you merely heard about from somebody else through the grapevine. No, it's a concept that you understand, you comprehend, okay? And so... In other words, and don't miss this, all right, this is a critical word for our time today. When you understand a concept well, kind of like in school, and you've learned something, you got a handle on it, you what? You grasp it, right? You grasp it. All right, so on the count of three, here's what we're going to do. We're going to squeeze whatever we got in our hands, and we're going to say together the word grasp. One, two, three, grasp. All right, so go ahead and relax. To have an intimate and comprehensive understanding of a certain matter means to grasp it. And this idea to grasp is communicated in John's gospel. Whenever you see the word know, K-N-O-W, or new, K-N-E-W, right? Know or new, it means to really, really understand something in your heart and in your mind. You are more than just acquainted with it. And there is a certain matter that John recorded that Jesus grasped, that he wanted us to grasp, that Jesus wanted us to grasp just the same. And so John wrote, Jesus knew. Jesus thoroughly understood a certain concept, a certain matter. And exactly what he understood, what he grasped, we're going to break down momentarily, but let's put a pin in that really quickly. Now, for us to understand the importance of exactly what it was that Jesus understood that we need to begin to grasp, I want you for just a moment. I want you to consider a time in your life when you were discouraged or downtrodden or you were demoralized because of how you knew certain events were going to play out. Right? You were discouraged because you had this knowledge of what was coming down the pike for you. Let me give you an example. So, Several years ago in another city, I led a certain division of another, nor another organization, not this one right here. And to give you some context about this organization, there was this long-tenured employee there who everybody hated, nobody wanted to work with or wanted to work for. We're going to call this person Bobby, kind of like from that movie Horrible Bosses, all right? Now, Bobby had a reputation for being toxic. 
A number of times, Bobby had been reported to HR for harassment, for affairs, for body shaming other people. And he was known to be lazy, pawning off all of his work onto other employees. And he made them work holidays and weekends while he got to coast and take time off. And so one day, our executive team of that organization, they called me into a meeting, sat me at the table, and they said, Lee, our organization has grown so large that we need to restructure. And immediately in my mind, I got excited and I thought, Yes, okay, I'll do it. I will do the difficult task of managing Bobby, but it's going to cost you guys a little bit. And then our president said to me, effective tomorrow, some of your team's going to transition into new roles. Unfortunately, we're going to have to let go of some other people. Oh, and because he's been such a loyal employee for 15 years, your division is going to start reporting to Bobby. And y'all know how like in cartoons, when a character is shocked and dies and their soul like leaves their body right? and they go up to heaven. It was a lot like that. Like I felt like that in the moment and I was dead inside. And what just two minutes prior was my favorite job ever up to that point. I no longer had any motivation to return to because in that moment flashing before my eyes, I saw myself and my team being forced to work evenings and weekends and holidays. And my heart began to break that some of my friends, they were going to be without jobs and it was going to affect their livelihood. It was going to affect their families. And I was just so sick to my stomach. I was anxious, could not sleep that whole night, worried about that announcement that was coming, worried about our future under Bobby. Now, I bring this up because what I felt was very real, legitimate feelings about my future. They were just a microcosm of what Jesus knew and understood about his future, what he'd be subjected to. Now, what I'm about to next say may trigger some of you who've experienced abuse of any kind. And so I totally understand if you need to mute me for a little bit, close out the browser, come back at another time. Or if those of you here need to stand up, get out of the auditorium or cafe, but make sure you connect with someone in our digital connect team or our prayer connect teams and let their presence minister to you. But here, check this out. All right. Think about this. Whether for 33 years, we do not know. But we do know for certain, at least three years. Jesus thoroughly comprehended. He had an intimate awareness and knowledge of the torture, of the torment, and the trauma that he would be subjected to. Jesus clearly grasped and had a handle on this reality that his close friend, who he had empowered and he had entrusted would one day betray him for just under 200 US dollars or in their day, 30 pieces of silver. Jesus knew that people who supposedly represented God, that they would arrest him, they would slap him and unfairly sentence him. Jesus knew that crowds who once cheered for him, crowds of his countrymen would turn on him and claim him to be a criminal and they would call for his execution. And Jesus knew that in front of thousands of people that he would be stripped naked, bearing all his body parts in front of them. Can you imagine the humiliation? Some of y'all have had those dreams, right? He knew that he'd be whipped with a metal and glass laced leather cord 39 times. And like pulled pork, his flesh would be shredded off of him. He knew that across his torn up raw flesh, that he would have to be he would be forced to carry a 100-pound wooden beam uphill about a mile. All the while, he was spit on. He was mocked and profusely losing 
blood, he knew that he would be stretched out in such an uncomfortable, cruel way that he would not be able to breathe. And in that uncomfortable, cruel way with six inch iron spikes, he would be nailed to that beam and hoisted up on that cross. Jesus knew that under the scorching hot sun for several hours, he would be burned. He would be blistered and he would be dehydrated. All of this to fulfill his brutal purpose. All of this in order that sinners like me with the capacity to invent such heinous evils like crucifixion that we would have an opportunity to grasp our creator's tremendous affection and love for us and that we could eventually connect with him and be reconciled with him. Now, having heard all of that, all that Jesus understood what he would experience, how many among us would be willing motivated to experience even just a portion of it. I don't see any hands raised. I mean, if in my personal story, I felt anxious, understandably so, about a mere organizational restructuring, can you imagine what Jesus felt grasping his fate for three, potentially 33 years of his life? We don't have to imagine too hard because his biographer, John, his close friend, John actually detailed for us exactly what Jesus felt on the night before he'd be crucified. Jesus felt such extreme mental agony and emotional distress that he was incredibly tempted to escape it. He was so tempted and fighting this temptation that he began to sweat blood. Jesus agonized and he said, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour of torment and trauma that I'm going to experience. Now, here's what's so fascinating about all of this. Many of you know how this story played out. Despite Jesus thoroughly understanding that he'd be subjected to torture, despite his temptation to escape it, Jesus maintained his motivation to live out his brutal purpose. Like even as those traumatic events unfolded one after the other, Jesus never once, never once departed from his mission to give preference for the well-being of his then followers and his future followers like you and me. He remained committed to care for them and to care for you and to care for me until his very last breath. John detailed it this way. He said, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And having loved his own who were in the world, he, check this, did not depart from his mission. He maintained his motivation. He loved to the end. How? I mean, Jesus, scriptures teach us that he was also fully man. How was he able to do this? I would not have the capacity to do something like that. And so here's where our conversation today really takes off. If you've got multiple web browsers open, you're multitasking. Here's the time to zero in. If the person next to you, I put them to sleep, go ahead and nudge them and wake them back up. Because you see, while Jesus possessed a knowledge of his gruesome, traumatic death, yes, there was another truth that he grasped even more clearly and even more intimately, a truth that you need to grasp that I need 
to grasp. It's a truth that we have to wrestle with and we have to begin to chew on every single day. We cannot simply gloss over it from now on this day forward. My hope and my prayer is that anytime you're in this portion of the scriptures, you don't merely skim past it, but it screams loudly at you and it highlights itself. It's pronounced for you. It is that critical. And so to help us understand exactly what Jesus grasped that we need to grasp, y'all consider this and stay with me here. All right, I'm going somewhere with this. So before what we call the universe began, my guess is, okay, I wasn't there. There was nothingness, right? There was a void. And yet from out of nothing material at all, our physical universe was somehow generated and it was fashioned, which tells us that from outside of our finite realm, there must have existed a creator who, unlike us, is not finite, but he's infinite, right? Not confound to time and space. So he's eternal. And in his infinite creativity and his wisdom, he ordered chaos into systems, kind of like how galaxies operate and planetary systems, you know, they rotate around the sun. And he determined boundaries between space and earth, like the Kármán line, which allows us to have a habitable planet. So we're not just like little vapors and molecules flowing around, right? There's a separation between space and earth. And he did all of this with his infinite wisdom all the way down to a microscopic level with our cells, right? That they function as complex networks. Behind me, there is a picture of the most detailed image to date of what goes on on a microscopic level in our bodies right now? This is occurring in you. It's like little cities that's taking place and, you know, transporting trucks and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty incredible, right? You know, if you're listening only to the audio or if you have vision impairment, I encourage you to Google this and have the audio descriptions read to you. It is so incredible. But then God, in his infinite creativity, he made all sorts of unique looking, colorful creatures like this fish that I just learned about last week. It went viral on social media. It's called the surge wrasse found in Hawaii. I thought it was fake at first because it's just so unique. And then very similarly in Australia, recently discovered is the peacock spider, also known as the sparkle muffin. Looks cute, right? You don't want to cuddle with it, but it looks cute. And then my favorite, my favorite, the weirdest looking creature of all, God created you. I'm just messing. No, no, no. Y'all beautiful, man. Y'all beautiful. But look, you know, he, because he is a God of affection and he is a God of joy, he set rhythms of seasons and day and night in order that there wouldn't be monotony. I mean, how boring would it be to be daytime all day or nighttime all night or something like that? But he gives us opportunity for rest and growth in his Love And then he arranged our DNA sequence in such a way that we have consciousness and we can communicate with each other. Y'all, right now in your miraculous brains, you are somehow making meaning of vibrations that I'm sending out and interpreting them so that we can have a conversation and we can engage each other and enjoy each other. And so let's put all of this together. I said I was going somewhere with all of this. Our creator existed outside of time and space, meaning he is eternal. And he clearly has unmatched wisdom and knowledge, right? Unmatched cognition, creativity, and capabilities. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And he's all-caring, and he's all-compassionate, and he cares that his creation flourishes and doesn't flounder. Y'all with me on this? All right, so the very essence of that creator, his spirit, took up residence in the person of Jesus. 
John quoted this. He said, I saw. I saw the essence of this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-caring, all-compassionate creator, all-creative creator, the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he made his home, took up residence. He rested on Jesus. So while Jesus thoroughly understood the trauma and the torture that awaited him, Jesus also grasped an even more weighty truth that we all need to begin to grasp. Jesus knew that our creator's wisdom, his knowledge, his cognition, his capabilities, his creativity, his compassion was with him. And within him, Jesus grasped, he had a handle, a thorough understanding that the spirit of the living God indwelt him. Meaning that Jesus had a confidence that the God who is in total control of the cosmos and galaxies and their systems and even ourselves, he was in total control of what would unfold and that not even death had power over him. Jesus had a confidence that he would in fact be raised to new eternal life and that this physical realm is not his permanent residence. It's not the end all be all. And so he understood that his extreme suffering, his real extreme suffering would just be a blink in the eye of eternal peace and joy in the presence of an all loving God. And so grasping this truth, this knowledge, Jesus was thus fueled. This is the fuel that we were Exploring, he was fueled to live his purpose and to love until his very last breath. John described this more powerful truth that we must cling to and grasp and get a a thorough understanding of in this way. He said, now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him, to set into motion the sequence of events where Jesus would suffer tremendously. And then check this out. He juxtapositioned that truth with what came next. He said, sure, that's all. That's not all Jesus understood. Jesus grasped. He had a thorough understanding of this more weighty truth that the father via the spirit had given everything into his hands that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. And then This is one of the more profound single words in this section of the scriptures. It gets me hyped up. I think it's super dope. You know, having juxtaposed these two truths that Jesus grasped, John then says, consequently, or because of that, as a result of what Jesus thoroughly understood, he said one word, so. And then he begins to tell the story about how Jesus loved until the very end. And Jesus grasped what he had been given. So he was able to love. You following me? Here's what this means for you. What it means for me is that if I am going to, and if you are going to remain motivated to love like Jesus loves so that we experience the overflow of God's affection for us, then like Jesus thoroughly understood that what he had been given, you and I, we must begin to comprehend exactly what it means for us about what we've been given. And you might be thinking, okay, look, Lee, everything the scriptures say was given into Jesus's hands. And you're not Jesus, Lee. And I'm not Jesus, Lee. 
And if you're thinking that, you are absolutely right. Like, I totally commend your theology. I am in no way saying that we are Jesus, that everything has been handed to us. But what I am saying is this, that God himself promised that when you or I, when any single one of us accepts and affirms that Jesus is the one true God, he promises to give over to us freely his spirit, more of himself. When any one of us invites him to take up residence in our hearts in and in our minds, he will make his home in us. And so while I'm not, and you're not entrusted with all things like Jesus is, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we become indwelled with the spirit of the one to whom everything has been given and entrusted. John wrote this truth this way. And you also might want to write this down. You might want to internalize it, take a picture of it, get a temporary tattoo, make it a family mantra. John said this. He said he has given us his what? He has given us his spirit. I sometimes feel like the truth gets lost on me. I sometimes feel like that truth gets lost on us as followers of Jesus and on society because so often what we want is possessions and so often what we want are practices and principles and we denigrate the person that God freely gives. You know, I'd get that you would have an intimate awareness of how much it hurts to be taken advantage of. That's very real. That's very valid. I am in no way dismissive of that pain. And I trust that you have a thorough understanding of how it feels to be unappreciated and undervalued and unseen. It sucks. And I don't doubt that you have a comprehensive knowledge of how anxiety and depression, how they debilitate you. But what if? What if the intimate familiarity that you and I have with those experiences and with those sentiments and with that reality of what we have experienced, what if we begin to shift our attention and get intimately familiar with the truth that John communicated to us? What if we begin to grasp who we've been given and exactly what that means for us, what the implications are that the spirit of the living God is freely accessible to us. How much more might that fuel us? We've got to get a thorough and comprehensive understanding of what it means for you and for me to have Jesus' spirit make his home within us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you guys a couple of truths about what it means, the implications of Jesus' spirit being in us. And then I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to say, grasp what you've been given. All right. And then to symbol, symbolize that you are taking possession, you are taking hold of those truths, and you're going to cling tightly to them. I want you to physically, literally, go ahead and out of the air, grab my words and grasp these truths. So again, I'm going to say a few words to help make clear the impact of what we've been given. And then I'm going to encourage you, grasp who you've been given, and you're just going to pull those, air, uh, pull those words out of the air Cool. Makes sense. Pretty simple. Y'all play along in the cafe and online. So here we go. Y'all in? Yes. A couple people still asleep in the back. Y'all in over there? All right. Good. So here we go. Get a handle on this. 
get a hold of these truths right here, that the same person from whom absolutely nothing generated absolutely everything resides in you and me if we accept him. Grasp, come on, who you've been given. The same capacity to care for one's enemies. Even when they're difficult, right? It rests within you and he will help us cultivate a compassion for difficult people. Let's grasp, come on, who we've been given and the same power over death, which raised Jesus to new life, to eternal life, rests in you, indwells you. So you need not fear failure or rejection. Y'all come on, grasp who we've been given the very mind that God himself promised will teach and remind and testify and convict and guide and speak and declare truths to you. That very mind we all have access to. So you have access to wisdom as to know how to appropriately care for somebody who's being a jerk to you. Come on, grasp who we've been given and being handed his spirit. You can and I can live with hope and I can live with encouragement that despite our troubles, our very real troubles in this life, that this physical realm is not our permanent home. Heck, in fact, Jesus even told his followers and you and me, he said, you are not of the world. So his spirit is a guarantee that you are of the father and you will return to the father. Y'all grasp who you've been Given Lord, cement these truths in our hearts and in our minds. Take deep root in us, God, so that we would be fueled to live our purpose. Y'all ask somebody around you, ask them, do you grasp who you've been given? Do you grasp who you've been given? And so let's recap really quickly some of what we learned today. We learned that Jesus promised his words to pour out his affection when we love like he Love, but we all know that loving people can be incredibly difficult. And so thankfully, we have been given a template. We've been given a model in the person of Jesus who, though he knew he'd be tortured, he grasped that truth. He also never departed from his mission and purpose, right? And so what fueled Jesus, we learned, was that he understood who resided in him, what had been handed over to him. And so when you and I grasp who we've been given, we too will find our fuel for motivation. Making sense? So where do we begin? How might you and I take these abstract words that we are speaking out and make them crystallize and make them cemented in our hearts and minds so that we can live from them and maintain motivation. How do we transform this conversation into something that will fuel us? Well, simple starting place for us to more readily retrieve these truths. Whenever somebody is being difficult with you is to do more of what we just did. Physically gesturing as if we are grasping something physical and literal. Here's what I mean. All right. So last year in the scientific American publication, there was an article that was put out and it reports that there's a growing body of neuroscience that's beginning to better understand the connection between the hand and the head or movement and the mind. That is, they're starting to see that movement, while 
Studying and learning can be a tool for all of us to better retain and recall information. So people who gesture as they learn, they actually better remember and they better understand concepts than people who don't move when they're reading or talking or anything like that. So those of you who talk with your hands, my guess is you have a pretty decent memory. All right, those of you who talk with your hands, my guess is you help people learn certain concepts pretty well or better than others might. And so a few moments ago, when we pretended to, with our hands, grasp out of the air the words that I was communicating, what that really was was an exercise for us to more readily retrieve these truths anytime we're in a difficult interaction with a difficult person. And so, since many of us are able to use our hands and we regularly use our hands to open doors or high-five people, type on keyboards, anything like that, grab a mouse, I want to leverage God's beautiful design for us. I want to leverage this movement as a tool to help our minds. And here's what I mean. So anytime you make a sort of grasping gesture, I think we should associate it with what John wanted us to grasp, what Jesus actually grasp. So we get a better concept or a better uh, comprehension of that concept. Here's what I mean. All right. So let me explain this. And you're going to see the scripture on this screen. Here's what I do. I'm going to model this. And this is just a hypothetical. Okay. Let's not take it too seriously here, but let's just say I am having a difficult time with a coworker, right? They're annoying me and they're making it really hard for me to give preference to their well-being and love as Jesus loved, live out my purpose. Well, I'm going to grasp my stress ball, potentially to throw it at him, but I'm going to stop myself and hold it tightly. And I'm going to say, he has given me his spirit or he has given us his spirit. Pretty simple, right? I'm making that mind movement connection, that head hand connection so I can better retain this information. Now let's get a couple practices in there for you guys, all right? You're going to read what's on the screen when I tell you to. So here's an example for you. So let's say you're leaving the office or you're leaving City Tribe Church parking lot, and as you do so, somebody cuts you off. It's very annoying. And so you raise your fist to flick them off. But instead, what do you say? You say what's on the screen. He has given us his spirit, making that mind movement Connection, or when you wake up and you grab your phone, that's the first thing a lot of us do, or you clutch that cup of coffee with both hands, or when you hold your child or your significant other's hand, or when you pick up that taco to put in your mouth, or your children are acting a fool and you grab that chunkla to chunk it at them. Mind, movement, association, you say what? He has given us his spirit now. Imagine, home stretch right here. Imagine if we all began to better internalize and operate from this truth. Here's what I am convinced of. I am convinced that when the truth that the spirit of the living God indwells you, that it begins to take root in your heart and in your mind, then less and less will linger the frustration and the exhaustion from having to deal with selfish, self-interested individuals. And more and more will you feel fueled and refueled and fulfilled to appropriately care for their well-being. I am convinced that as you begin to grasp who you have been given, then your perspective will begin to expand and no longer will you see your life as just being part of this physical realm, that this being the end-all, be-all. But the hurt, 
that you have felt from being unseen and unappreciated, it will evolve into compassion for others who have felt the same, and you will be able to care for their well-being. When you understand that Jesus' spirit is in you over time, your depression and your anxiety will no longer debilitate you, but from a not-of-this-world power, you will begin to debilitate your depression and your anxiety, and you will continue to live out your purpose. And as we grasp who we've been given, that we've got the spirit of the living God residing in us, then we can be more like Jesus as we submit to it. And we can continue to care for God's family. And we will thus experience the benefits of the promise that Jesus gave that we started off with, that he will pour out to us his affection. He will reveal to us his presence and activity in our lives. But if we do not, if we never grasp Get a handle on the reality that the one to whom all things has been entrusted indwells us. We may never grow in our capacity to love even when it's difficult, and we may not come remotely close to loving like Jesus, and we'll miss out on his promise, and we will not experience life in its fullest possible quality as intended for us. And so, brothers, And sisters, I implore you, I urge you this, cling tightly to this truth and make every single possible effort to comprehend exactly what it means for us that the spirit of the living God resides within us. Grasp this, that he has given us his spirit. So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to pray and then you'll be dismissed. But let me encourage you to come back next week as we continue in part five of this Poodle Purpose series, our hope is that you've been encouraged by it. But, you know, we love you guys so tremendously. And, you know, we hope that you will remain encouraged and fueled by our conversations. So would you join me in praying and then you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your tremendous love and affection. Even before we choose you, you chose us. You sent Jesus and he endured such trauma and torture. And we thank you that um, he put on display exactly how much you love us. And he made a way for us to be able to connect with you and to pour out your spirit into us. And I pray that what we talked about today wouldn't be soon forgotten, but would take deep root in our hearts and minds and that we would begin to grasp exactly who we've been given and what exactly that means for us and that we might be fueled to be like you care for your family, even when it's difficult, and we could experience the promises that you've made. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.